Hello, and welcome back to Inside Out with Dylan Nolan. I'm really excited for this interview with Roisin Farragher, who is a researcher in NUI Galway and has almost completed her PhD. Her research focuses on care experience, young people and, and identities. I think it's so important that she's doing this research because she's someone who's a care experienced person and so is able to use this part of her life as a positive rather than hiding it and suppressing it because of the stigma that's attached to someone growing up in the care of the state. I also get to work with Roisin on the Epic Youth Council, a council made up of young people with care experience where we try to bring about change in the care system. I wanted to interview Roisin because she's a real role model to me, someone who was able to really break through and use her work and knowledge to answer questions and help understand some aspects of being care experienced. During this interview we talk about a good few things about children in the care to stay. Roisin highlights kinship care, which is a form of care where the foster parent is actually a relative of the child, like an aunt or an uncle. Roisin really explains a lot of the positive as well as the issues about this type of care that I never really would have known a lot about considering my background is completely different. We also get to hear what Roisin thinks needs to change and what she would like people to know about the care experience. I think her words carry a lot of the feelings that many of us who are part of this care community have. So I really, really hope you enjoy. And also really sorry about the sound quality again. This is recorded on Zoom and I'm still learning about better ways to improve this. Hello, Roisin, how are you? Hi Dylan, how's things? Thanks for having me on. I'm coming to you from Galway, so hopefully you can hear me okay with the connection. Apologies if it goes in and out, but uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think uh, places where Galway still haven't got broadband yet. So uh, <laughs> one yeah, of those well, things. Technology. Just as, yeah, just as long as the Zoom call doesn't just break or anything like that. We're <laughs> recording on Zoom, yeah. by the way. <laughs> um, so I guess to start off the interview, I just wanted to ask, um, so you're doing your PhD at the moment. So mm-hmm. I want to ask, like, what kind of research are you doing and how, how did you get to that point and why focus on the area, area that you're doing? Okay, um, God, I can so many questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I suppose I'll take you back a second. So, I suppose I went into care when I was 16. Um, I ran away from home, and um, I think I my situation was a little bit different because, um, looking back in it now, I wanted to be take, taken into care, um, because I wanted to get away from a, a situation where there was very high levels of abuse and neglect, um. For, for quite a number of years um so when I ran away at 16 I ended up staying with a friend for a while and then um moved in with my foster parents after another while so that was kind of the process in which it happened um and then um through that I'd kind of lost a number of relationships as do many young people you know you lose a community you lose extended family members um, certain things in your life change and whatnot and this was all kind of happening um, in my leaving search year um, so I'd never thought about going to college um, I didn't consider myself smart I could barely read or write certain things my vocab isn't great uh, so it wasn't like a, you know I always wanted to be this when in my childhood it was nothing like that whatsoever I mean I think one of my biggest fears was even staying alive in my childhood you know I wasn't thinking about going to university or any of this kind of stuff um so I think it was in my leave and search year I kind of started thinking I'd like to do something like my story teaching 
because I loved kids and you know I felt like um I'd missed out on a childhood and loved what they did so I loved playing with them and stuff like that um and then I kind of switched a little bit when I was taken into the university by a friend. Um, we just went to off the university and there was a, a, an access program evening on. And I remember being in the university and thinking to myself, oh my God, I'd love to go here. I don't know what it was. I don't know what was the feel of it. Was it the prestigiousness of it? Or, you know, there was something in it where I was like, God, wouldn't it be great to be going here? Like, you know, um, and I didn't even know what I wanted to do at the time. Like, I didn't think I wanted to do arts or law or whatever. I didn't, you know, that wasn't even entering my head. Um, so time went by and unfortunately I didn't get enough points in my leave insert. So at this point I'd been formally taken into care, uh, was living with my foster family and didn't get enough points and applied to the access programme in Anywine Galway. And thankfully, uh, got accepted. And I think that was the whole start um, of my academic life. And then um, after the access program, I did a BA in sociology and politics um, and philosophy. And at that stage, I was getting the bug. I was getting the bug of academia, the, the, the adrenaline rush of sending in, you know, essays and just before the deadlines and stuff like that and really thinking about where I was going to go with this degree. Um, and I really, I don't know, I think I wanted to do a master's and I think, um, I think the master's in social work was in my head um, at the time and even the family support one, but I think you had to be working or something. There was something that kind of I didn't fit the criteria, I didn't have enough hours or something and I was volunteering a lot at the time as well and then I saw this kind of community development masters and I really thought oh this is about prevention rather than intervention and I really liked that kind of ethos so I said you know what I'll apply for this. So I ended up doing that um, with a number of other girls who um, were just great support and we're still in contact so we did two years of that and then next thing I was like, I, I need to do a PhD. I want to do research. I want to change something. And I think it was around that time, uh, a couple of years ago, when I started my PhD, I think the care part of me and the identity started to, to emerge. Because for a long time, I didn't want to acknowledge it um, and felt sheer, um, uh, shame and stigma and fear um, around even disclosing the fact that I was in care and because I felt like I hadn't been in care for a long long time I felt like it wasn't appropriate for me to say I was in care because my impression was that you know you grew up at a young age you were taken into care um, and because I was only taken in at 16 I suppose I didn't really maybe maybe I didn't want to acknowledge it as well mm. who knows and mm. um, but I suppose, yeah, that, that was kind of the process. So anyway, then when I started thinking about topics, I was like, do you know what? I really need to start using my experience. And, you know, I, I'd volunteered a lot and seen how vulnerable people can be. And these were people then that I was thinking that were in care of the state that, you know, were lacking in supports and stuff like that. So I suppose then I kind of shifted and said, I really want to do something about this topic. So it wasn't necessarily my experience per se that, I, that kind of drove me I think it was the motivation that was mm. around my experience and the kind of things that happened to me and um, well I suppose that is my experience in a way <laughs> um, yeah. 
But uh, yeah, I think it was a bit of that that kind of led me towards my topic now and my PhD topic and looking at family. Um, and I suppose I wanted to keep it wide enough because we hear about these things around, you know, sibling access, sibling placement, the effects of going yeah. into care on family relations, all of that kind of stuff. So we wanted to keep it broad enough so that um, lots of data would come out for a change, you know, so that we could really start looking at these practical things like, you know, who is somebody's next to kin if they go into care? You know, what happens within a family relationship? What changes in that dynamic? Why is it different for somebody in care to somebody who hasn't care experience in their family relationship? So all these kind of questions came up. Um, and I'm really lucky. I have a really, really excellent um, encouraging supervisor, Dr. Declan Coogan, um, who would kind of help me formulate the questions and kind of go, you know what? This is how you're really going to get and hear their voices. And I said, perfect, let's go. This is the way we're going to do it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so um, that in a long-winded way is about the spiel of 10 years of my life. <laughs> I'm now coming towards the end of the PhD. Um, so, Does yeah, I don't great? know if I've answered all of your questions there <laughs> in that amount of minutes. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I'll I'll just say every time I talk to Roisin, I always have this in the back of my mind. I would love to read Roisin's book when she writes it one day <laughs> on your whole life story. Yeah, it I don't know what brilliant. book that would be. <laughs> you know, it's funny because uh, people say to me, "You should write a book on this," and mm. I'm like, "Which part? The part about going through care? The part about the PhD findings? The part about whatever it is? The part about trying to leave your identity behind while doing a PhD and kind of distance yourself somewhat, so you you don't get triggered the whole time and stuff like mm. that?" You know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's I think there's a few books there, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How to do a PhD. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is what self-care is. <laughs> yeah, I okay. um, I just wanted to bring it back a bit, like, because I, I, it's come up in a few other of the podcasts. Um, that year, 18, being 18 seems to be such a stressful year <laughs> for particularly young people in care and people that are, you know, mm-hmm around the care system um and i just i thought it was interesting that you also brought it up that you know instead of focusing on school or that kind of thing there's so many other things around that's Mm. there's so much pressure because i know i felt it because like i i i was in res care at 18 and um and i know that the last thing on my mind was the leaving search you know um yeah and i think it's it's yeah I think you know growing up is hard anyway I think you know there's a lot of pressure on 18 because we see that as an adult that's a conceptualization that we have that you know as soon as that happens overnight you need to be able to do this this and this the problem with that is is we're now realizing that transitions from um we'll say young people's or whatever from from uh adolescence to even young people to um adulthood takes time you know it's not just one part in time and this is one big thing kind of i've learned from my own research and the idea that even basing it around a family relationship for example it happens over time you know that's built up over time and i think with that it's just harder for somebody who has care experience because of the fact they have so many other dynamics as well, you know, 
um, they have other things that they're they're constantly thinking about it. And I don't want to compare it too much because, you know, somebody who may be estranged from their family and maybe not in care might experience the same kind of things. Um, and we all experience loss and grief and different things. But for somebody in care, that might all come at once or that might all come in that, you know, in that couple of years. So I think that's why it's a little bit more important. And that's why I think there's a little bit more stress um, or anxiety or maybe feelings of loneliness or something that hit young people through, coming through care at that particular age group. I think even from, you know, 16, 15, 16 to 23, is even, even longer than that, is quite a vital age where you see kind of shifts and change. Yeah, so many new experiences going on while there's still that care experience that they have to live Thank through. You. I wanted to ask a bit about, um, you brought it up um, about your your uh, volunteer work, because I know that you do so much volunteer work and that you like throughout all throughout throughout the years um and that you've received the the young volunteer of the year award um so I just kind of wanted to hear a bit about how that came to be as well sure um I suppose I won the award a number of years ago so um and I think I'm still secretly trying to claim the title in some ways. Um, it never yeah, goes away. I, I know, yeah. It's like, you know, when you're in the rose trolley, oh, it's a rose. You yeah, know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I I always liked volunteering from a young age. I think that was innate in me. I think because of my experiences, I didn't want people to have the same thing. I didn't want people to feel what I'd felt. So I suppose... You know, in my character, I was like, we have to make things better. We all have to do our bit. And that's how we do things. And that's how change will happen. And that will be for the greater good. Um, and we can all do our small bits. And I suppose, you know, going into volunteering, I don't think I even saw it much as, as volunteering. I think I just saw there was needs in different places. So there was a need in the local community to set up um a community center and get that run and they'd worked on it a number of years before I even got there. Um but I saw there was a need for that because the community had very little amenities and was disadvantaged and, and I just was like I'd like to help that, you know. Um and I think there was a few other projects as well I'd been working on around that time. Um so there was just other kind of small things like I worked in um, the the hospital here in Galway um, in the playroom so ensuring that kids you know before surgery or if they were in long term or if they were in for a couple of days they got access to the playroom and they got access to some sort of play and some sort of um, space where they could be away from the doctors and the nurses and the needles and everything that comes with it and even for the parents to have half an hour where they can go have a cup of coffee or a shower or something so I did that for a couple of years. I mean, there was loads of things, I suppose, that I've done kind of here and there. Um, I had worked a bit of, as well with Jigsaw um, and had mm. volunteered with them for a number of years as well. Um, so I, I think there was an accumulation of certain things that um, led people to put in um, an application. And um, I, I don't know what they said. Um, I'd love to know what they said about me. <laughs> Uh, in some ways because whatever they said you know I won the award and was absolutely delighted yeah absolutely um 
So I have my award. Uh, it's on the, my countertop in the kitchen. Um, it's a really nice crystal. And um, I was presented then on the night of the awards. Um, the same day, uh, me and my partner still laugh about it because the same day we'd come back from Pharaoh. So we were on holidays and I had uh, another meeting in the university. And I said, you know, I think I should change the flights to come back earlier, Dara. And um, he was just like, oh, sure, yeah, I suppose we can come back, you know, a day or two or whatever. Like, So we changed them anyway. And I went into my meeting in the university. And then later that night, the awards were on. And my sunburn started to come up. And so uh, there's pictures going around me at the awards with the big red face. And at the best of times, I have a big red face anyway. But this was just uh, a little bit on a different level. But um, mm. I laugh about it now, you know. Um, we had a great night. And it, like, it's something that I'll always treasure. You know, I think you don't do voluntary work for thanks you know I think if you're doing it for that you're kind of going in for the wrong reason on because a lot of volunteer work goes unnoticed in some communities um and unfortunately communities don't have enough to thank the person anyway they wouldn't have a lot of resource and they wouldn't you know be able to do that but I think um I think it's something that motivated me even more to do community work even after mm. the award because I was so grateful that somebody had recognised this because I wasn't expecting it. And it's like that no expectations, no disappointments in a way. Yeah. Um so I think it encouraged me actually to go on and do do more work, you know, and that somebody was seeing the benefit of me helping them, you know. Yeah, and I, I totally agree like you know um that there is like you like you shouldn't expect anything from volunteer work that's not the point of it you know um but I I also wanted to bring up that you that you do volunteer work with the Epic Youth Council which um for people that don't know the Epic is empowering young people in care um and the youth council is a part of that where it's for 18 to 26 year olds who have care experience um, can come in and kind of work to change policy, work to, to, to make real positive changes in their own community. And where I, me and Roshan are both on uh, in, in that group. And um, I, I just want to ask you like, uh, like, so why did you want to get involved with the council and um maybe just what your favorite what thing really stands out to you because we've done so much which is like brilliant you know but um what i guess what one point yeah thankfully we've done so much <laughs> what yeah what one point uh, thing really stands out to you yeah so i think i you know every time somebody asks me um you know about the council i always say Oh yeah, I've been part of that two years, but realistically now it's probably three years by the time I've been kept saying this, this two years. Um, yeah, so I got involved, I think because um, a professional had said it to me or something. One of the Epic staff joke about how they wanted to recruit me. I don't remember this, but it's, it's, it's something I, I haven't uh, fully remembered yet in my recollection, but I, I put it down to somebody else that I've worked with and they said, why don't you get involved? Epic are recruiting. Um, and like, this is only just a couple of years ago. And um, I, I kind of said, okay, fair enough. 
And then I remember that um, another peer of mine from Galway had been involved. Um, and I think she came with me to my first uh, proper meeting in Dublin. Um, by proper, I mean the actual, you know, traveling up to a meeting rather than just a phone call kind of check-in thing. Um, and so um, I think it was from that that I kind of was like, do you know what? I really like the ethos here. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm a speaker, um, and I, I think I've become a speaker because of my um, uh, work with Epic and a few other things that I do. Um, I think that space allowed me to have a voice heard. And what I really like about the ethos of Epic is your voice is actively heard mm. and the fact you're um, impacting on decisions. So it's not just about, you know, having your voice within uh, decisions matters or whatever um it's actually them saying okay well let's do what the council have said or let's take this on or how can we do this or whatever it is um and i really liked that um kind of ethos about it so i stayed there so i suppose then your your other question was yeah yeah (laughs) um so your other question then was around um one of my kind of favorite parts or, or yeah. what I've been involved in um you know it's, it's kind of cliche to say oh there were so many parts and it's the people that make it it is like obviously absolutely I think that's what makes you know good company or good organization or whatever that you're um that you stay there like you'll even see that with good management teams you know the same staff and they're happy and they come in and whatnot but I suppose one particular thing and this is me being maybe a little bit biased that the World Children's Organization, World Children um, Day, if I can say that without a uh, tongue twister, um, we did an address to the doll. Um, so about two years ago, I would say, maybe a year or two years ago, and uh, myself and uh, two other council members told their stories. Mm. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, wow. You know, obviously we never kind of ask each other about different stories or why we're in care or this kind of thing. It comes up now and again and it's nice because it's not um, kind of told to us that we have to tell our stories Mm. and that. Um, And I I had felt kind of really comfortable after hearing, um, you know, two of my uh, other colleagues' stories that I had had shared somewhat of mine and it was the first time I think publicly I'd done it in that kind of space. Um, now obviously I didn't go into everything um, and just give kind of a brief overview but it was, I think it was one of the first times that I remember going oh my god how powerful is this that somebody who'd ran away from home who never thought they would get an opportunity to have change or do whatever who was just fearful about surviving could sit in somewhere and I love my politics as anybody would know would sit in this place and say this needs to happen you know we really need to start looking at children in state care we really need to start putting up our socks and doing something better for people who are under um with the corporate parent or whatever you want to call it um because we don't necessarily have a great history in doing so um and I think it was just the symbolism of where I did that the journey that I was on in opening up and the people that I had surrounding me in doing that 
in such a safe space and having the support of the, the council and the staff within EPIC, I think that's just one moment where it you know, just stands out for me, which, yeah. which I think was probably somewhat at the start of me becoming somewhat comfortable with my story, you know? Yeah. So it's so powerful. I think I remember. I I think it happened in um. It, it has happened in Scotland before, and real work was done from that. And it's I, I think we need so we need more of those kind of days where we have people from different groups, particularly care experienced people, in the doll and just saying like these people exist. You know, we like. I, I think there is that kind of like it's almost like some people are like forgotten um, in politics and hidden in, from 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 politics um, and I, I just we need more of that I think totally yeah and I think there is a perception around children in care I mean I've often had people say you know I'm sorry to hear you're in care or you've had that experience mm. or whatnot I mean like there's certainly still a stigma around that. You know, like I said, I was even afraid to even say that up until a few years ago, like because yeah. I knew people would um, see me as abused or damaged or whatnot. Um, and I think, you know, from talking to others who have care experience as well, that's not so different for them either. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of work needs to be done on how we see you know, such things in the community that happen all the time, you know what I mean? Abuse, neglect, loss, grief, you know, uh, mental health issues, anxiety, homelessness, like the list goes on, you know, but, you know, we just, we just need to get better at addressing that, you know, and especially because these are children of the state, you know, Um, and in some ways it can be argued, yeah, and in some Mm. ways it can be argued saying, you know, well, um, we're saying that so-and-so or whoever can't care for you, so we're going to care for you. So in some ways that has to be better and well-equipped and well-resourced and, you know, and maybe we need to get talking more about the practicalities of what, you know, children or care experienced people need, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And we know, well, I know anyway, that, that being and going through care is part of my identity now. Like this will affect me throughout my life. It's not going to stop at 18 yeah. because I went to education it didn't mm. it didn't stop yeah. at, or that you um, left formal care like you know yeah, it doesn't absolutely. end you don't just gain no. this biological family so it just doesn't happen you know you don't yeah. suddenly um become yeah. uh like exactly like everyone else you know it just it, like you don't it's yeah I, I I never understand and it also with me I know it, it, it always makes me question like why does that support drop then? Why do if if the care experience doesn't end, why does the support end? Do you know? Do you I know? know. And I think we have that perception that it will end. Like I think we have that perception that once the supports are given, that's it. But we know in different circumstances people can fall back, people people can go in and out of care, people can be in, in informal settings, you know, living with somebody like um an aunt or an uncle or whatever it is. Um, or a grandparent not be formally taken into care, suddenly um, be taken into care, be back out into it for like the you know it doesn't necessarily um, 
stop you know and i think that that identity part is we need to start recognizing that it is through your whole life like obviously it's in different ways for different people and it's increases at different times and gives us different emotions but it is still there you know yeah i totally i totally agree and, and I, I actually it leads to my next question uh what would what would you like people to know about the care experience um if you could pick anything what would I like to see change? Um, I I think change is such a funny kind of thing. Like, I know we talk about change and we aim for change in certain things. But majority of the time when we want something to change, it's particularly because something's gone wrong or it isn't working or whatnot. Um, and I think we need to kind of pull ourselves back a little bit from that idea and kind of think to ourselves, first before the decisions are even made as to how they will affect somebody and how they will affect somebody long term and these you know decisions that we make you know what will the impact of today's decision be on tomorrow and I think that's important to to change so maybe it's not necessarily one idea of change because my idea of change will be different to your idea of change you know even though we generally have maybe care experience or whatnot but you know my bias and preconceptions will jump in and say well this is important to me you know and this is what I want to see change but the bigger idea for me around change is that we really need to start thinking about those decisions and you know um even professionals in the area of children and care have a lot of power in deciding certain things like that you know um and they do have a lot of impact and influence on somebody's life um, long term, you know. Um, and also, I think we need to get better when it comes to change or the idea of change is implementing change. You know, whatever it is, whatever we decide that it is, it shouldn't take so long. You know, if we're seeing something in research or in policy or whatever it is, or in evidence base, you know, in practice, like it shouldn't take forever to implement that, you know, and I understand that things will naturally change over time and we have a whole chrono system and uh, ecological system that will show us that. But there is a part where if there is going to be change, that it needs to be implemented much sooner than in some of the cases in which it is. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that's a very philosophical answer. <laughs> If that's a, oh, if that's a answer, that's a, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a um, great, great. I think, uh, I think most, I think so many people would, would, especially people in the care community, would agree with that. That um, implementation isn't um, what should. It's not as great as it should be. What from what the policies say. Um, I do believe as well, like what you permit, you promote. Like if you're not making a decision about something, it is an an indirect way of making a decision you know so when when you're talking about change it in itself on how you approach change and the process and how you're going to get change is important it's not just the end action itself and it's it's yeah. it's that reaction to reaction it's like the process of somebody going into care you know it, it might be the process of going into care itself and how that happens but also how it's going to impact after yeah you know and that support needs to be around that you know we're seeing more and more where like there's there's these pathways to homelessness now and one of the pathways is from the care system and it's 
and that needs to be recognized more and more um, because you shouldn't be more disadvantaged if mm-hmm. you're meant if you're being taken into state care to be mm-hmm. uh, for your well-being or to be protected that you shouldn't end up worse you know yeah. um, absolutely and, and I, I think it go it, like we we always kind of see those statements like if w- would you put your own child through something like that you know uh, like like policy makers um it was who who is who are making these standards for aftercare standards for for residential care like is this something that you would be okay with your own child going through i always kind of think should it, there should be those type of questions being asked and it shouldn't be based uh, yeah. based around the economy or money or anything like that like it should be based around is this okay for everyone's children um and w- would they yeah. have the same the same kind of future um and it's it's also why i hate the word like when people say success stories for people in care because it's it makes it seem like it's uh, like it's almost on the burden of the person in care to make sure that they're not affected by the disadvantages that the state has caused. Um, but that's like another story. <laughs> Absolutely, but there is a part where you know the the young person has more than likely been subjected to to being brought in care. You know, um, and there is a part where majority of the time it's through absolutely no fault of their own you know um yeah and it's just it's just the thing that we need to get better at that we need to understand that this will affect a whole identity in some ways good and in some ways bad you know um and in some ways kind of it will fluctuate but yeah the idea that you know it's a success because of being through care i mean you have to understand these people have already, you know, when I talk about these people, I mean, these young people and, and children who go through the care system have already survived. Like they have a significant level of resilience to survive already what they've gone through. And I think that in itself isn't even in, talked about enough. You know, that isn't highlighted enough how the fact that they've just done that and are still alive and are still wanting to help others. And I think going through something like that for the majority it actually does make you want to help others because you don't want the same thing happen to somebody else because it's that bad that you get so motivated to just go what we've been through um and i don't mean all of us here when i say this but for some of us it has been absolutely horrific it has been harrowing it has been horrible it has been lonely it has been anxietyful and that's why you just don't want anybody else seeing that. And it's very hard to explain that to somebody who hasn't been in care or hasn't any experience of this or hasn't, you know, ever come across abuse or neglect. Like, it's great that they haven't, but it's very hard to explain that and that emotion that you deal with daily, constantly, how you're triggered constantly or how something reminds you of something. I mean, the other day I was asked to give... um uh pictures of my childhood for something that i'm involved with that's just like i don't have any maybe there's some out there through my school or you know through something else or whatever but i don't have them do you know and there again i was like oh my god does everybody else have pictures because i don't 
you know and it's not something I'd want to be reminiscing on anyway my childhood but it was just it was another kind of thing a simple thing you know very very simple thing of just having pictures of what you look like or what you were like you know yeah something that like so many people just take for granted that would be there mm. and, and it's Absolutely. It's, yeah and it's just not it shouldn't be taken for granted particularly when you are talking to people that are in the care system or mm. have been in the care system um and mm. uh, yeah it comes down to like watching like just that type of um knowing kind of where you stand and then knowing where someone else stands and kind of being able to show see even imagine walking in someone's shoes you know um, but I have to admit, like, I had very positive experience with my foster family. I actually appreciate them more now that I started to think about my own family and, you know, um, um, what happened down the line. I, you know, I wish I was taken into care sooner because it would have possibly spared me, you know, months and years of neglect that I was subject to. But I cannot um, thank my foster parents enough for the experience they gave me and the things they taught me, like having a family relationship, like having dinner together, you know, like having my own bedroom and, you know, certain things that I got that I'm I'm just so thankful for, you know? Yeah. Um, I suppose like that leads to the last question. And you've already kind of we we've touched on it a bit throughout the whole interview. Um, what would you like people to know about the care experience and anything like that? <sighs> Um, God, you're really hitting me with the tough ones. Jesus, have you enough time for this? <laughs> um, what would I like people to know? Um, I suppose I'd like them to know that, again, care just doesn't end at a certain stage, you know, um, it does affect your life. The experiences you've gone through, unfortunately, will have an impact on your life realistically in some sort of way, whether you want to acknowledge it or it's subconscious or it's in your preconceptions or your bias about things. It will be there. It will impact you in, in some sort of way. Um, but I suppose I'd like people to just know we're people, Do you know, we're, you know, we're aunts, we're uncles, we're we're young people, we're whatever, you know, we're parents, whatever. We are no different. And people experience the things that we experience all the time. You know, like I said, they experience the loss, they experience grief, they experience domestic violence, they experience whatever it is, you know. And I, we just need to get better at talking about the practicalities. It doesn't always have to be so professional. It doesn't always have to be whatever. It can be very much like... Will you have a safe roof over your head when X happens? Um, will you be able to go to this thing if you see X person there? You know, what will you do if you meet X person? How will you protect yourself? You know, I, I think a lot of those practical conversations sometimes don't happen. And you might have to seek out the support, you know, for, from other professionals to help with that kind of trauma in a sense that you've been through you know and I'd like people to know that I wouldn't mind having that conversation with somebody else you know um so yeah I don't know I suppose we just need to get better at, at talking about it um and I'd, I would like to see you know certain things 
move and happen and be there for the people that come behind us, you know, through uh, their journeys and going through the care system. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I think that's a great way to leave now. It's knowing that like that conversations need to happen and conversations, that dialogue should start and should keep going and yeah can i just jump on in one point specifically around my phd findings and this is something that i think we kind of build young people in care up particularly for independence the one thing that i found in a bigger kind of more philosophical way and if you like Again. From my <laughs> yeah, is that I don't know why I'm doing sociology at all. <laughs> you know, it's philosophy that I need. Um, is just the fact that it is not just about independence, it is about interdependence for these young people. We are seeing how important it is in terms of relationships, how important it is when you go into a young person and you're not in great form as a social worker or professional or whatever it is, and that young person leaves with that image in their head or how their visit with access goes or how they're not told about what's happening or how they're moved. And, you know, I have these kind of snippets in my research that I just go, could we just get better at having these kind of relationships and talking and showing that it's about inter interdependence as well as that independence? That it's not just all about preparing people that they're ready at so and so age because some people are not and we know this like we know this because of different reasons and because they have different needs like but i just wish that we would start seeing the importance of those relationships and i mean it for you know the um birth families for the foster families for the young people themselves for the siblings that they might have whatever it is we need to start looking at how important they are and what influence they have whether they're good bad indifferent whatever whether they're wanted or unwanted or whatever it is but just the impact of them and the fact that we're still preparing people for independence when it should be interdependence and independence in different ways yeah yeah i i totally agree um can i just say actually i think i speak for nearly every care experience person that like i'd say we're I, I i'm just so glad that you're on our side <laughs> and that you like we have you in our corner <laughs> like making those points and making those conversations because it's so important and it's it needs to be said and like it's just great that like we have someone like you like and i hate the word success story but like you're so successful and you've done like oh I, it's just i think um uh, I, 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 I say I just I speak for so many people and when I say that like it's great that you're in our corner you know and that this is the kind of where you want to go with like your with your volunteer work and stuff like that. Thank like, you but you know what Ellen? it comes back to the environment that I'm in now you know I'm in a safe stable enough environment I wouldn't have these opportunities I wouldn't be able to give time I wouldn't even be thinking about doing a podcast to you or with you if I didn't have that, you know, and I didn't have that years ago. So I will take every opportunity that I can now, although I'm triggered, although whatever will happen to me, although I'm mainly counselling, whatever it is, you know, um, but I think it's because of that environment and now that I'm in, that I feel safe and cared for, that I'm now thriving, you know, and I think that's where we need to get for others who are in that situation where they feel, because like, like I said, I was never like this, 
I was quite shy, quite whatever as a child, but um, it does help having that environment, you know, and it does help not having to worry um, about what you're going to come home to or what's happening, you know what I mean? So, yeah, um, yeah, I suppose I, you know, obviously there's emotional kind of hills and valleys and you know, there's, there's days you feel unstoppable and then there's days you cannot ex escape, you know, the thoughts and memories about what I went through and all that kind of stuff and the dark feelings. But I, I feel so lucky, you know, that I've gotten out of that situation. Um, and then on other days, I feel immensely unlucky that I'm not like my friends and that I've had to go through this to even get where I am now. You know, so it, it, like it's a bit of both, you know. It's yeah. a bit of both. It's one of those things, one day at a time, you know. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. think that's, yeah, I think that's. And I wish, I wish I could, I wish I could bottle it up and sell it, whatever the hell it is, <laughs> you know, and, and, and do whatever from it. I wish I knew what it was that makes us and others, you know, and even yourself and others that are, that are on the council that I've met and just incredible, incredible young people. And maybe we bounce off each other, who knows? Um, but just, I wish I knew what it was. You know, I wish I could say for whatever reasons how we've done so well, considering what we've been through. You know. Yeah, I think I think you're you're onto something there with the bouncing off. Like there is that community feel to the council, and I think where I think where we'll leave it off is saying that like if anyone is listening that are our care experience and they're aged 18 to mm -hmm. 26 that the council is there um but even if you are care experience and you don't really feel like going to the the, the council or whatever there's always ways to write to epic and make your voice heard there's always something there if you need help epic's a great such a great um place for um for getting help as, as well as making change just the yeah so um, I think that's uh, where we'll leave it. Thanks, Roshian. I, I was going to say thanks for coming in. And it's like, we're, we're, we're on a Zoom call, do you know? We can I did it. Done it in, yeah. We can yeah. Close the door on the way out, please. <laughs> I'll just say that I didn't get any tea or biscuits, but, you know, like if you come to Galway, I'll remember that. You know? it's, on, it's on the train. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Roisin. I think there's so much to take from what she's highlighted in this episode and it's always great that there's someone like her on our side that is doing so much for the community and is just such a fascinating person. And thank you so much for listening. I really enjoyed doing these interviews and if you have any feedback and thoughts about what was brought up today and for future episodes, the Instagram, Twitter and Facebook is Inside Out with Dylan Nolan. And if you can give us a share, that would be so helpful. Thanks again and see you next time. Bye. Inside Out with Dylan Nolan is presented by me, Dylan Nolan, and produced and edited by Jerry Horan of Contact Studio.